Good morning, my beloved Orangewood. How's everybody this morning? Good, good, beautiful morning. Hey, uh, let me uh, say a quick word as we begin to the parents who just dismissed their kids to O Kids Worship. Let me encourage you to do a couple things. First of all, make sure you thank those who are serving your kids. You know, one of the things that Katie and I try to do every time our kids go to an event, did you thank the coach? Did you thank the teacher? You know, they're giving up their time. And so um, if you're sending your kid off and someone's missing worship, can you either in worship, uh, either in nursery or down in O Kids, if you could thank them, that'd be great. You know what else you could do to really help uh, your job as a parent and help us? Ask them today about what they learned. Maybe ask them what they learned. Maybe if they made something, put it on the refrigerator. Um, Show your child that that this is really important, that it's not just something we're getting rid of them so we can focus, but we want them to uh, learn as well, right? And so great opportunity as parents, uh, and that is just uh, affirm those that God has blessed us with to help our kids. And also reinforce what they're doing. Ask them, hey, what'd you learn? And what a great opportunity for you to uh, discuss great things with your children. All right, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Genesis chapter 6 as we continue our sermon series in this great book, the book of beginnings uh, here in God's Word. And what an amazing story God has. Is it not true? Is God not a phenomenal storyteller? I mean, did he not tell us uh, of who he is and what he's done in an incredible, epic wonderful, true story. The good news about this story is it's for you. Uh, It's a story about God, but it's a story of us as well. And so whoever you are, wherever you've been, however you got here, whatever condition you find yourself in, God has you here for a reason, and he wants to speak through you this morning, or to you this morning. Don't you know that feeling you know that feeling you get when, when something really starts to mess up and the more you work on it, the worse it gets, that you get to that point where you just, you just want to start over. Uh, something that starts bad, it gets, starts getting worse, you just want to say, can we just start this whole thing over? I mean, maybe it's like writing a handwritten note. Does, does anybody do that anymore, by the way? You write a note and you realize, oh, I spelled that wrong, I'll cross that out, and oh, I, I didn't say that right, and eventually you look down and think, oh, man, I can't send that. <laughs> Throw that away. Uh, for me, sometimes it's like uh, I don't wear them as much as I used to, but tying ties, you know, getting it in the right spot, getting the right knot, getting the right dimple, getting it the right length, and it's just like, oh, you start the whole thing over again, you start from scratch. Now, for some of you, it might be uh, relationships. I mean, how many relationships that just start off like, man, this is awesome, especially dating relationships, and you get, you get excited, and you, you're learning about somebody, and, and you're getting to know them, and everything seems to fit And all of a sudden, you start getting these arguments and disagreements and things that come up. And you just sometimes want to say, can we just start over? All right, married folks, how about conversations with your spouses? You ever have a conversation with your spouse that you thought, it's going to go this way, here's what we're going to do, and all of a sudden, you're way over here, and you don't know what has happened, and you're yelling at each other, and you're not even talking about the issue anymore, and you just want to say, can we just start over? Can there be a do-over with this? Don't you wish that life kind of had that like etch-a-sketch, you know, where you can just kind of like just etch-a-sketch it and do over and uh, wipe the slate clean? Do you know that God had that feeling with us? Do you know that God had that exact feeling with us, sinful man? 
you know, when God told us his story, we've been looking at it, he created everything. He's a good God. And when he created everything, he looked at what he created. He says, man, that's good. I mean, as a matter of fact, uh, he gets done creating. He basically says, that's picture perfect. That's the way it's supposed to be. Man and women, beautiful in my image, reigning for me, in relationship with me. It's picture perfect. But that picture didn't last long. You know, we sinned and rebelled against God. It just took three chapters of the story for us to be rebelling against holy God, thinking that we know better. In the fourth chapter of this great story, not only has we sinned, our sin is now bearing fruit, that we have a brother killing and murdering a brother. And now when we get to the sixth chapter, let me tell you, everything has gone wrong. Sin had basically ruined God's creation. I mean, it starts off with paradise, but you can't even hardly see a remnant of it anymore. It's so far gone. It's interesting what the Bible says about sin's effect on the world. It's basically the reverse of creation. It's basically everything that God said is good, and now sin is affecting and making bad. Darkness was taking over the light. Beauty, the beauty of God was being marred by the void of sin. And the created order that God said was good was turning into chaos. So God said, do over. Start over. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that's a huge leap. But if you were God, how would you start over? If you were God, how would you say, uh, this didn't go as planned, uh, so let me, let me wipe this slate clean. If you were God and you had that ever-powerful etch-a-sketch of all of creation and say, let me start this whole thing over, how would you do it? Well, God said, I'm going to wipe the slate clean. And he says he's going to do it through a flood. But there's a problem. You see, God can't fully wipe the slate clean. And then this, this should make you want to lean up in your chair and say, okay, how can holy God see sinful man and not wipe the slate completely clean? Because God is a promise-keeping God, and God is a merciful, loving God. And God made a promise. And the promise God made in the midst of man's sinfulness is this, is he's going to save the world through a seed to come. He's going to save the world through one to come, one, the seed of woman. And so that, 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 promise has to, that promise has to stay intact. I mean, God just can't wipe the slate clean and, and wipe away the promise. God keeps his promises. So how does he do it? Enter Noah. Enter Noah into the story. Enter Noah into the story, in a story when the world, everything has gone wrong. Everything has gone haywire. I mean, the world has gone to hell. And God is going to wipe the slate clean and say, do over. But he's going to be a man of his word, a God of his word. And he's going to say, but the promise will come. Noah will come. And I'm going to save Noah. You say, Noah was saved from the flood. The flood of God's wrath because of what man has done to creation. But Noah, listen to this. Saved from the flood, but saved through the flood of God's grace. We got to see both. We got to see the flood of God's wrath, that God is a holy, just God, and he has to, for who he is, burn um, rightfully against sin. But good news, good news, God's a holy and merciful God. He's merciful and just, and he's fair, and he's gracious, and he loves sinners, and he loves saving us out of the midst of darkness. This morning, we got a tall task. This morning, we're going to try to do a few things. We're going to look at this story, the story of Noah and the flood and, and God's wrath and God's grace. 
And this story is going to cover Genesis 6 through 8. We're not going to go through the whole thing today. But that's the whole story. You're probably familiar with that story. This morning, we got to look at a few difficulties of the story because when we read this, this ancient story, there's going to be things I say as we read the text, and you're like, what is that? And so you won't be able to concentrate unless I give you a little bit of explanation of a few of the difficulties, okay? Now, this is not going to be theology class, and we don't have time for us to examine to the nth degree all that it could mean. So what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to read through the text, and this morning, I'm going to, as some difficulties come up in the text as I read, I'm going to try to deal with them quickly so you can continue to understand the story and move on, okay? Thirdly, we've got to look at so we can see the story. We see the difficulties of the story. We've got to see the point of the story. Uh, just before I read Scripture, I'm going to tell you the point so you can have that in your mind as we read Scripture. And then, if you know uh, me and you know where we've been and you know what Scripture says, we're going to look to the point of the story. And guess who the point of the story is? Jesus. Amazing. Even now, Jesus, and you guess what? We don't have to do uh, somersaults to get there. It's true. We don't have to make this text say what it doesn't say. It's true. But the last thing we're going to end in is how does Jesus show up in the story of the flood? And I think you'll be amazed. Okay, um, let me start off with the point of the story. Here's three things I want you to think about as the story is read and as I preach this sermon, okay? The first one is this. The first point of the story is that God is just and holy with dealing with sin. God is just and holy with dealing with sin and merciful while dealing with sinners and faithful while keeping his promise. All right? He's just with dealing with sin. He's merciful with dealing with sinners and he will keep a promise. It's awesome. Second point of the story, man is totally depraved. We'll unpack that a little bit. Man has been so, and, and women, have been so messed up by sin. Sin has affected our thoughts, our hearts, our words, our deep deeds. As a matter of fact, Scripture says this about us. We can't fix ourselves. Scripture says that sin has so messed us up that the only hope we have is an etch-a-sketch to start us over. We'll talk about that. And then lastly, we'll see Jesus as the ultimate hope for rescue from God's wrath and our only entry point into God's favor. All right, so turn with me to Genesis 6. What I'm going to do this morning, we're going to look at Genesis 6 through 7-5. Again, the story goes through 8. Um, we'll pick up the story again next week a little bit further down. But I'm going to do this this morning. I'm going to pray first. Oftentimes I read Scripture first and then pray. But because I'm going to be talking to you through Scripture, I would like to pray and ask God's blessing on that as well. So let's, let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this incredible story. Would you give us ears to hear it? Would you give us minds to understand it? God, this is a big story. It's an epic story. It's kind of a crazy story. I believe it's true. And because of that, would you give us hearts to believe it? God, not just a blind faith, but a true faith. That you're God, you're holy, and you deal with your people in a way that's best. That God, if you do that, if you speak to us and you help us understand and you give us hearts of faith, I know what you'll do, and I thank you for it, but i got to pray for it anyway. May we walk out of here in obedience to you and to this story. Would you make us more like Jesus because of this? God, the things that I say that are wrong, or the things that I say that are just my opinion, and there's a lot of opinions about this story, may those things be forgotten. 
and they fall away quickly. But the things that are said that are true, would the Holy Spirit empower those things to make an indelible mark on us that makes us more like Jesus? To you be glory. To us be challenge and comfort. We pray all this in the powerful and matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Genesis 6, we'll start in verse 1. We'll see some of the problems come up right away. It says this, When man began to multiply on the face of the, of the land, uh, and daughters were born to men, born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and as they took their wives uh, at any they chose. I don't know what's going on with my contacts. Almost all of that was completely blurry, and it was probably blurry to you. Um, but let me say again that uh, what was happening is man was multiplying on earth. The earth was growing, but something was wrong. And it says something really weird. The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were attractive, and they were grabbing them. This is kind of not in like, will you marry me and woo you? This is like grabbing them and, and, and making them their, their wives. Who were the sons of men? Who were the sons of God? Well, there's three real thoughts about this. The sons of God could be the sons of, of uh, uh, Seth. Oftentimes, the righteous seed, Seth was righteous, are called throughout Scripture sons of God. I could show you a text where that's true. And what they could be saying is this, is that they started to intermarry. The, the righteous seed and the unrighteous seed, the sons of God and the uh, daughters of men started to intermarry, and bad stuff really started to happen. That's what Luther and Calvin probably thought it was. It was the Sethites and the Cainites intermarrying, and bad stuff happened. Okay, could work. The second one is this, is that sons of God sometimes means angelic beings. And so it could mean that angels uh, were, were, were seeing how good-looking women were, and that they were therefore having relationships with them and producing weird offspring. Now, biblically, this is really problematic because Scripture tells us that those angelic beings aren't to marry or given to marriage. They aren't sexual beings like we are, and especially because it's, it's demons. So, so for this to be sons of God in an angelic form would be more of a demonic form, all right? And that's really problematic. So you think, hmm, that's probably not right. But the sons of God can also refer to uh, uh, kings or powerful people in the land. And if you look back to chapter 4, born to, to uh, Cain was a guy named Lamech. And Lamech was an amazing, powerful king. As a matter of fact, it says that he made instruments, uh, musical instruments like the flute, and he made tools. And probably, when it talks about them, these, these were like gods. I mean, they were so strong. They were multiplying. They were strong. And they were the ones who were um, uh, marrying women, just taking them captive. And what they were producing is a, an offspring that... Um, was not pleasing to the Lord, was really rebellious. That's where I think it probably is, either the first or the third. But anyway, can we keep going? Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Now, is God saying there that man's life, that long life we talked about last week, is going to be changed and men are now only going to live 120 years? Probably some truth to that. But I, I think what a better rendering is this. God is giving a warning. I'm about ready to do something horrific. I'm about ready to wipe the slate clean. My etched sketch is ready, and you got 120 years. God is basically setting a timer. He's setting a timer for man to repent and says, you got 120 years. 
The Nephilim, Nephilim, now there's another one, were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they were born children to them. They were mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Well, who in the world are these people, for goodness sakes? My goodness. The, the, the word, the Nephilim, uh, at the core of the Hebrew word means fallen. These were fallen people. These were depraved people. Um, they were big and strong. I mean, were they giants as giants? We know. I don't know. Um, it talks that they were in the promised land. The spies saw them. But here's what we know about them. They were evil. They were fallen. They were depraved and they were strong. All right, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And listen to this. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Now, when it says the Lord regretted, that's another hard thing is because God's unchanging. God's desire was for good, and now they're so evil, he's got to have a different plan for them. So the Lord says, I'll blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I've made them. Another difficult word. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I love those buts. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. We'll see how. Blameless in his generation. We'll see how. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth. And behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with, uh, with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you're to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it with a, 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 to a cubit above and set a door on the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood on, of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And every little living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you to be kept alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your household, for I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are, that are not clean, that the male and his mate, and the seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Let's again pray. What a story. 
Holy Spirit, help us make sense of it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to look at three things. The first thing I want to see is God's response to sin when we look at this passage. What is God's response to sin? If you want to follow along the outline, you have it. First thing is this, that God is long-suffering. He's patient. God is is slow to anger. That's such good news. He's long-suffering when it comes to sin. We see that in verse 3. Why? Because he says you got 120 years. He gives him a warning. You know, to me, the character of someone with power and influence is often seen through the way they treat a child. Have you ever seen someone with power and influence treat a child harshly and impatient with them? I mean, really, they're usually small men or women who cannot love those who are weak around them if they have power and strength. And here's such good news. God is so powerful, and he's so patient with us as children who are weak. He gives us uh, 120 years. He's a patient father. He's slow to anger. He gave them every time Noah is building that ark for 120 years, and all of his neighbors says, you've lost your mind. What in the world are you doing? Noah preached for 120 years a sermon that says, God's got an etch-a-sketch, and he's going to start this whole thing over. Repent, repent. There is a God. You're living in a a discord with him. Repent. God is long-suffering. We know that God is a a God who loves to to bring um, a repentance or bring blessing to those who repent. If you're familiar with the Bible, you should know the story of Jonah. Uh, Jonah is a story of a prophet, a a slow to listen to God prophet, who was sent to the most notorious evil city of his day, Nineveh, in the midst of Babylon. And here's the message that Jonah was given by God. Go tell him, 40 days, I'm wiping you out. I mean, there wasn't even any, like, repent. It was like, here's your message. Can you imagine being a preacher saying, this is your message? Go tell people in 40 days you're toast. Guess what happened? The most wicked city on the face of the earth repented. They said, man, we got to change our ways. And God said, you repented? I'm not bringing the calamity. I'm going to show mercy. That's a God, that's a God who's merciful. He gave him 120 years. Said, the etch sketch is ready. He's long-suffering. Second thing is this. God is brokenhearted by sin. Look at verses 6 and 7 again. It's really beautiful. It says he's, he's grieved to his core. Have you ever had someone else's sin break your heart? Have you ever had someone else's sins break your heart? Maybe a sin of a friend. It's not just what they did. It's just, it's just the pain that it grieved you. I mean, maybe the, maybe the sin of a spouse. I mean, you know that, that, that sin that they have, it just, it just breaks your heart. I mean, it's broken so many other things, but at the core of your being, it, it hurts. What about the sin of a child? Just the child being foolish, being young, and just their sin. Has it ever just grieved your heart? That's God. Sin grieves God, it says, to his heart. The Hebrew doesn't know a word for heart the way we do. So here's what it's saying. It grieves God to the core. I mean, God is is so loving and so holy and pure that there's something about sin that grieves him. It hurts him. It pains him. He's holy. It's offensive to him, but don't just see the offense. See the pain. See the hurt. The Hebrew word for grieve means indignant rage. The pain of sin is so great that the only thing that can pacify it 
to a holy God. The pain of sin is so great to holy God. The only thing that could pacify it is his son on the cross becoming our sin for us. God is brokenhearted by sin. Next thing we gotta see is God is wrathful towards sin. In verses 7, 13 and 17, uh, it says, again, God's, God's angry. It burns to, against him. It's interesting, one of our, one of our own here, Louise Holtzauer, great teacher, she was uh, uh, doing a women's ministry, um, and she says, it's, it's interesting, she was teaching, she says, you know how many nurseries are filled with Noah's Ark? And hey, really, you go into a nursery and you see this beautiful ark, and you see the animals, and they're all smiling, you know, and everybody's happy about Noah's Ark. And she says, the truth is, it was a horrific event, and it was. It was God's wrath against sin, and, and it was ugly. I mean, the stench of death had to be filled the entire earth. Just the reality of, 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 of people floating dead uh, or whatever, it was not a nursery rhyme. It was God's wrath, God's wrath towards sin. You see, God being holy and just, he must deal with sin and bring punishment and blot it out. He's got to. It's true today. He hasn't changed that way. God must deal with sin. He must bring punishment to it and blot it out. But there's such great news. Listen, there's such great news. God shows grace towards sinners. Look again at verse 8. Verse 8 says that Noah found favor with God. It really starts to unpack what happened to him. I mean, Noah, Noah found favor with God in verse 8. Uh, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and he walked with God. God shows grace towards sinners. The first thing is this. Noah found something. This, this word favor means grace with God. Noah found a gift. He didn't deserve it. Noah was a sinner too, like you and me. Noah deserved God's wrath. Noah deserved the flood like you and I do. But Noah found something. He found by God's grace and grace alone a gift. And Noah had faith in God as response to that gift. Look with me again to the book of Hebrews. Each week in the last several weeks, we've had blessing of God for further application of what this means. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 says this. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteous that comes by faith. You see, God had favor on him. It was an amazing gift. And, and Noah responded in faith. He had faith in God's promise that he would provide for him. And because of that faith, this is so important for us to see, and because of that faith in God, Noah was declared righteous before God. No one is ever declared righteous before God because of what we do. Noah was like his neighbors, a sinner. But he found God's grace. And that led to faith. And that led to him being declared righteous. Here's the point. It's not about you being religious. It's not about you being moral. It's, it's not about you doing the right thing, although those are good things. That's not what it's about. Christianity is not about that. Christianity is such good news because it's all about a God who is gracious to sinners and a God who gives us grace through faith. 
And if we have faith in that one to come named Jesus, our faith in Jesus, God declares us righteous. Goes on to say in, in uh, Genesis 6, 9, not only are we declared righteous, ready for this, we're blameless. How in the world could you be blameless before holy God? How could I be? I mean, come on, seriously, blameless? I mean, if God knows our thoughts, words, and deeds, and every one of them are inclined to evil, how in the world can we be declared blameless? Is God a crazy? We're blameless in Christ Jesus. We're blameless in that seed to come. We are declared holy. We're declared, ready for this, not guilty. You know how good news that is? God took his son who was blameless, and he credits that blamelessness to our account because he took all of our filth and gave it to his son. Wow. Noah found grace with God. He didn't deserve it. Noah had faith in God, and that's an amazing gift. And because of that grace, through faith, Noah was righteous before God, and he was declared blameless with God. And if that's the case with you, if God's grace has found, found you, and you have faith in his only son, and God of the universe declares you right now righteous and blameless, guess what? We now walk in him. That's what Noah did. Oh, I knew he was free. I get to walk with God. I get to build an ark for 120 years, and everybody says I'm crazy, but I'm okay with God. And he's going to love me and see me through. What an amazing, uh, gracious God towards sinners. And we got to see that man is corrupted by sin. Verses 5, 11, and 12, we see that man's totally depraved. It basically means this, that man is so saturated because of sin, our whole being, the viral nature of sin has affected everything. It says in this in this text, it's interesting, man is inclined to sin. Every intention of thoughts, our hearts, was continually evil. You ever get surprised how sinful you are? I was just yesterday, I was in my devotion, I think it was Friday, I was having time with the Lord, and I mean, I was just kind of one of those like prayer times of just God, forgive me, and and I just felt his presence. It was so good. And, and I'm not telling you, it was like, like three minutes later, I mean, I, the things that I was thinking about, I'm thinking, is this the same guy? I mean, it's just like it's just minutes ago, I was in God's presence. And, and within seconds, I could be thinking of the grossest, weirdest, dumbest, vilest junk. Because I'm like the rest of sinners, so inclined to evil. So every thought... Even holy thoughts, I want to be about me, not God. Every thought, every word, every deed is so prone, so bent toward evil. That is who we are naturally apart from God. No man is freed from sin, the power of penalty apart from the grace of God. Noah was a sinner too. And the only hope we have is this. Here's the whole point. Our life has been so messed up by sin. We're so inclined to it. You can't get yourself better. Religion, self-help, won't work. The only way you and I could ever get better is an etch a sketch called Jesus. He says, I'm going to wipe the slate clean. I'm going to shed my blood so you can be clean. I'm going to robe you with my righteousness. The only way you get in is to be made new. That's how much sin has affected us. Lastly, Jesus, the hope for sinners. I want to say two things about this. One is, this, is that Jesus is the greater Noah. The word Noah means rest. Noah found rest from God's wrath, and the promises were saved. Jesus is the greatest Noah, greater Noah, and Jesus is the true ark. What do you mean by that? 
Well, the only rest that our weary souls can ever get from a holy God and from ourselves is to rest in Jesus. He says to all of us who are weary and heavy burdened, he says to all of us who are broken and need, he says, come to me. Come to me with your junk. Come to me with your burdens. Come to me. Don't go to religion. Don't go to self-help. Come to me. And I will give you rest. The only rest we will ever find is resting in the person of Jesus Christ, his work, his sacrifice, his love, his intercession. Come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus is the true ark. What was the ark? The ark was a place where God's people could hide from God's wrath. The ark was a place that would lifted, lifted up God's people above the waters of God's wrath and preserve them. Listen, here's the point. The only way you will ever be safe from a God who is and a God who burns toward sinners like us is to be inside the ark of Jesus Christ, to be in a relationship with him. If you are in a relationship with him, nothing will ever separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing, nothing of your own doing, nothing of evil outside of you, nothing. The only safety that we can ever find that will rise above the waters of a wrathful God of sin that will make us safe is in Jesus Christ. But it's not just against God's wrath. The only person we could find ourselves in to find the favor of God, the blessings of God, the friendship with God, the joy of God is in Christ Jesus. Because in that ark of Noah, God found a friend in God. And in Christ Jesus, I know that he's my friend too. Jesus is the greater Noah, the greater rest. Jesus is the greater ark, the only place that we can hide ourselves in and find God's pleasure. Jesus is the only one we are called to walk with empowered by the Spirit, by God's grace, through faith. Jesus is our etch-a-sketch. I mean, in a way that he's the only one who makes us new and sets us free. God told Noah a pretty cool promise. We'll look at it next week. He said, I'm never going to do this again. I promise you, you're going to have seasons until, you're going to have seasons. I'm not going to wipe the world out again by a flood. Good news, isn't it? He said, next time it's going to be a fire. Hide yourself in Christ. Walk with him. How is it with you? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this amazing story. A story that talks about the flood of your wrath and the flood of your grace. Thank you for the do-over that you've done in our lives in Christ Jesus that he truly does wipe the slate clean and make us righteous and blameless and holy in your sight. Father, I pray for each one of us that we aren't trying to build our own safety through religion, but that we're just hiding ourselves in Christ, our Savior, by God's grace, through faith, that we could be safe, safe from the sins that deserve your punishment, safe in the storms of life. And God, I pray for each one of us, if there's anyone here that's not safe in the ark of Christ, today would be the day that they would say, Jesus, I want to come home. I want to come in to a relationship with you. 
And Father, for those of us, by your grace, that are already in that safety of the ark of Christ, empower us now to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.